Last week we had a great uh, sermon from an old friend of mine, Ray Lewinstra. Uh, he had a great teaching about faith versus religion and how Jesus came to uh, break that bond of religion on man. And he's going to continue on this week. And just, I had a flashback. We talked about Ray when he went to uh, South Africa. When he first came to the Harbor Church, when I was going there, he shared that the people in Africa had a hard time getting their L's and R's correct. Remember that? And they would call him Lay Ruinsta. So every time I buy a bag of Lay chips, I think of Ray because of that reason. So just so you know that I, I never forget anything that you teach. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave that up here for you. I said I'm to go up there. Okay. okay. I'll leave him there for later. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tom. Yeah, I like potato chips. <laughs> Maybe a little too much at times. All right. Well, I'm glad to be here with you this morning and trust your pastor is having a wonderful time with his family. I'm going to read to you first the scripture and then have a word of prayer together. Can we do that? So, first step. Now, I want you to just see it on the screen as well. We're just continuing. We are in Colossians 2 last week. And as Tom mentioned, we talked about the inadequacy of religion, rules and rituals, and the attempt to use religion to get our connection to God and how God has provided the connection and therefore, religion is really uh, not helpful in that way if it's used in that way. And so we're going to go from there into, okay, so Pastor Paul continues in Colossians 3. How do we change? What are we to do? How do we change more deeply? And this is something that I'm very passionate about. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, such an awesome word that Paul wrote to us so many centuries ago. Uh, I need your help, Lord, this morning to help bring some context and explain its meaning in a deeper way so that we may truly enjoy a deeper change in our lives, that we may enjoy the freedom and love that you intend to flow from the depths of our being. So thank you, Father, for the guidance you give us in your word. Help me to be true to it. Help us to understand it better. And Father, may we be changed as a result for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants to change your life. Ever wanted to change your life? I've had friends who said to me, wow, man, they just tasted the latest, greatest kind of soda pop. And it, wow, that changed my life. But of course, it didn't change their life. They're just exaggerating, right? 
But we all, I believe, at times desire to change our lives. We come to a place where we recognize that we need change and we find it difficult, don't we? I mean, if anybody has ever tried to lose weight, they understand this, right? It is not as easy as it should be. All we got to do is eat less and exercise more. It's simple, right? Fewer calories in, less calories. But there's something going on much deeper that causes us to behave the way we are. And that's why God is not just interested in your behavior. That's sort of what we talked about last week. God's not interested in you just coming to church and not just interested even in doing some of these wonderful things like praying and reading the scripture. God wants you to do those things. But he's interested in something much more important. He's interested in what's going on deep within you. Now, you know, in some contexts we could talk about the soul. In other contexts, Jesus talked again and again about the heart. Part of our problem as modern people is when Jesus talks about the heart, we immediately think he's talking about emotion, right? Because we think, oh man, you know, when I saw my wife for the first time, she stole my heart. That's what we think of. We think of passion and emotion. But in the Bible, and and that's why we need to do a little bit of biblical theology here and and get a, a, a deeper biblical anthropology, deeper understanding of who we are as human beings, how God has constructed us. Because the heart in the Bible is not just the seat of the emotions. It's also in the Bible the seat of the thoughts, the deep thoughts. It's the heart of the deepest convictions that we hold. And so the heart is much, much more. And God is interested in transforming us by the renewing of our minds. He's interested in an interchange that leads to the outer changes in our life. And he wants it to be in that order. Jesus said, you don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree nor good apples off a diseased tree. The healthy apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not who you say and do that counts. Not what you say and do that counts. It's who you are, your true being. Listen to what he says here. I'm using the message version, by the way. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Your heart, your true being, brims over into true words and deeds. So what and how does your true being change? And in order for that to happen, we have to have an understanding of our own minds. And happily, a lot of what we understand um, that has been taught for many centuries uh, by pastors and theologians from the Bible has been confirmed more and more by our modern psychology, believe it or not. But let's just give you a little bit of a biblical understanding of how your mind works, okay? So simple, simple points here. All right? How your mind, understanding your mind from a biblical perspective. The first thing you need to understand, and it's very important, is to understand that your mind never stops. Right? You are always thinking your mind is the ceaselessly 
active stream. Jesus used the word stream or fount. Out of your innermost being, Jesus said, will flow. He talked about a flow. And that flow that he was talking about is that ceaseless stream of fountain of thoughts which, out of which flow your life. You are always thinking. And it isn't necessarily what some people think you're thinking. I'm hoping that you're listening to me and you're thinking about what I'm thinking about and, and we're communicating together. But I know that you may be thinking about the roast in the oven at home, right? Or you may be thinking about the, the heat and what you're going to do this afternoon when it gets really hot, you know, and you don't like going to the beach and it's sandy and oh yeah, whatever. You, I don't know what you're thinking about. Or you may be thinking about, wow. That's a nice looking young man over there or whatever, right? There's so many ways that your mind is always, always thinking. It's ceaselessly thinking even when you go to sleep, doesn't it? Sometimes we lay in bed and even before we go to sleep, we just can't stop our minds from thinking. We wish we could. And sometimes it does seem like our minds do stop thinking. My wife has thought that I have stopped thinking on several occasions. (laughs) But even when you're not aware of your thoughts, it's true, you're still thinking. And the vast majority of the thoughts that you think, you really aren't tuning into, especially in our fast-paced world. Especially in our millisecond world where new information's coming at you, boom, 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 so quick. And your mind is always thinking. Secondly... Flowing from this, your mind develops patterns. Your mind develops patterns. Every mind has patterns or habits when it comes to the nature of the thoughts that come through your mind. Let me uh, give you an example of something that happened right to us recently. Our, our my daughter flew to a place that we'd never even heard of before. She flew to this little island called Rarotonga. And before she left from Auckland Airport in New Zealand to fly to this island, she called and we had a little chat and she said, well, I'm going to be late and I'm going to be late getting in. And so we said, well, just let us know when you arrive safely, right? And so she flew there and the next day we heard nothing. And then the second day we heard nothing. And uh, she's alone, traveling, you know, 18, and we heard nothing on the third day. Well, you can imagine how our minds were working, right? And we started thinking, man, we didn't even know the flight number of the plane that she took. And we didn't even know there was two hostels on this little island. We didn't know exactly which one she was staying at. We thought, oh, my goodness, we're negligent parents that we are, Right? And then you're thinking about what might have happened to her. And I'm thinking, to my, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, Marilyn, it's the Internet. It's down. And we communicate through the Internet. So the Internet is having problems. That's what it is. And my, my wife is thinking, no, right? Something devious has happened. Somebody has kidnapped our daughter and, we, you know, ready to get on the plane and phone the police and all that stuff. And, of course, my daughter communicates with us late on the third day. She's having a grand time. (laughs) Your mind works in patterns. 
And certainly, there's well-developed patterns that happen to you because of all that's happened in your past. Just think of some of the things that happen. Let's, let's just say, for example, a stranger walks up to you and gives you a blank envelope. And he says, I've got something in here for you. Now, if you're an optimist, you're thinking, wow, this is great. There's probably money in there. Maybe there's a big fat check. This is grand, all right? You're an optimist, right? Well, if you're a narcissist, you may be thinking, well, gee, of course I deserve something. I should have been given something a long time ago, right? If you're a pessimist, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is a bill. I know it's a bill, a big bill for something that was forgotten, or maybe it's a letter from Revenue Canada or something like that. If you're a cynic, that's maybe what you think. But you see, it has nothing to do with the actual... See, what happens is stuff happens to us, and then our minds take over and put a story to it, right? And it's not until we open the envelope and see what's in there that we actually find out the reality. But we do this all the time. We may be in the foyer of the church... And maybe a lady that we've had some problems with in the past or whatever, but we kind of mended the fence, but she walks by without talking to us. And she's got a funny look on her face. And we think to herself, well, well, right? What did I do, right? But maybe we start putting a story to it. Oh, oh, I bet she heard from so-and-so, blah, 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 right? And, And she's snubbing me. Meanwhile, the truth of the reality is, is maybe something happened in her family, and she's distracted by that. And so she walked by you because in her mind, her mind is preoccupied with something else. You see what I mean? Stuff happens, and then what happens is not in question, right? The reality of what happens is not in question, but what is in question is the story that we add to what happens in our lives. And that is the result, the story we often... I've heard people so many times, oh, yeah, when bad things happen to them, they get totally focused on the bad things because they feel like they deserve it. Yeah, oh, there it goes again. I just have the worst luck. Oh, you know, they actually believe that. And then the funny thing is, is when good things happen to them, they don't even notice. They don't even take notice of that. Why? Because the pattern is so set in their minds. It's so there. And so the story that gets put to the reality is, could be optimistic, it could be pessimistic, it could be somewhere in between. But what the Bible teaches is, is that our outward circumstances don't change us. They don't change the patterns of our thinking. And it is one of the great illusions of our times that by changing our external circumstances, you will change your life. I remember helping a lady move and she told me, I'm starting over. I need a new life. I've burned too many bridges here. I'm going off to this place and it's going to be so much better. Do you think it would be? I kind of doubt it. Right? Because whether you live in King Carden or whether you live in some other town, 
there you are. <laughs> right? And there go your ways of thinking. There goes your thought patterns. Right? And invariably, those thought patterns lead to the same relational issues. And there you are, repeating history again. I've heard uh, young women come to me and say, I can't understand why I keep picking bad men in my life. And when we get into it, when we start to dig under the surface a little bit, we start to see, ah, right? Why are you attracted to them? What's going on? There's a thought pattern that goes on below the surface. And those are the thought patterns that God wants to address. There was a study. It's interesting. There was a study done by uh, a Dr. Yanov Bullman. And he studied 22 lottery winners and 22 quadriplegics. And he took these people because in our culture, one of the best things that could ever happen to you, right, is you win a lottery, right? And uh, I mean, I know not in a church, though, obviously, right? You would never think that. But uh, it, it, and, and one of the worst things that could happen to you, right, would be to lose the use of your, your limbs and your body. To become a quadriplegic is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you, right? So Yanif Bullman went out and he found 22 of each. And he wanted to find out how their lives were changed. And he wanted to find out if the lottery winners got happier and if the quadriplegics became sadder, became depressed. Guess what he found out? It's amazing. Within six months, the lottery winners were just as happy or unhappy as they were before they won the lottery. And the same thing with the quadriplegics. The quadriplegics were just as happy as they were before? I mean, I find that remarkable. Or unhappy as they were before. Why? Because the patterns of their thoughts, the flow deep within them, their thoughts were always at work. So here's the third point. Your thoughts lead to life or death. This is very biblical, okay? We're going to get into some scripture here. Every thought we have is either in agreement with the truth or not. Your thoughts are in agreement with the truth or they're not. And as a result, every thought has the power to open us to the Spirit, the Spirit of God, or close us off from the Spirit of God. Because here's one thing I know about God. He's into reality. He's into the truth. And so when we start thinking thoughts that are not in tune with the truth, we drift further away from reality and we drift further away from the working of the Spirit and the working of God within our lives. And how do you know when a thought is from the Holy Spirit? Cognitive psychologists say that every thought, they say this, they say every thought carries an emotional charge. So when you think a thought, you think, oh... It, it, it either depresses you or makes you happy, right? Every thought has an emotional charge attached to it. But here's what the Bible says. Paul, the apostle says, thoughts carry a spiritual charge. They open you up to the spirit 
or they block or they hinder the work of the Spirit in your life. They rob you of power. Listen to what Paul says. If you don't believe me, that's good. You shouldn't believe me just because I say it. Listen to what it says in Romans. And I put it up here on the screen for you to read it as well. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Do you see what Paul is saying? All thoughts are either leading you closer to God or further away. And when your thoughts are in alignment with the Spirit and God's Word, they will always lead towards life, not death, toward growth, not stagnation, always toward hope and not despair, always toward authentic love and joy and not resentment and anger. The natural tendency of the mind without God is toward death. And again, I'm not going to get into this too deeply. Uh, I'd love to in a way, but there was a study done by a guy before the age of cell phones, actually. He gave out pagers to people, and he had those pagers go off at random times, and he had the people in his study. He paid them to write down what they were thinking about when the pager went off. And guess what he discovered? He discovered when people are alone, they drift toward, in their mind, discontent, anxiety, failure, self-loathing. And he discovered that people actually hate to be alone with their minds. And so modern culture knows this as well, and so they invented something to help you with that. And you know what it is? It used to be television. And I would say, now it's the internet, YouTube, baby, right? You don't have to be alone with your thoughts anymore. We'll help you with that. We'll give you thoughts to think. We'll give you all kinds of meaningless distractions and memes and all sorts of things that, hey, you never have to be alone with your own mind anymore. Unless you're isolated from the internet, God forbid, right? Oh, my The natural tendency of the mind without God is toward death. And that's why the Bible talks about the futility of people's thinking. You know what happens, right? Something happens at work. And all of a sudden, you think, oh no, my job is not going well. Oh, I don't think I'll ever learn to do it well. Oh, man, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm going to lose my job. Right? And if I lose my job, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills? That's the anxious person's thought pattern. Or maybe it's about a relationship with your spouse. Right? Oh, she cooked it that way. Well, she knows I don't like it that way. Oh, she cooked it that way to spite me. Right? <laughs> we could go on and on. I won't go there. You start to think, I think these thoughts, I don't. All right? People can shut their minds to God. Listen to what it says in Romans 
again, and I'll put it up on the screen. In Romans, Paul says this. In verses 21 and 28 of Romans chapter 1, he says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. And then skipping now to verse 28, And when they refused to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. To me, one of the most chilling scriptures in all the Bible is that verse. And in the NASB, it says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. These people don't need any other punishment. They've closed their minds off. They created foolish ideas about God. And God eventually says, hey, go ahead. He does not force people ever this is not God's desire for anyone. God's desire is that you have a life that is permeated by life-giving thoughts. And those life-giving thoughts grow into a life-giving life. Listen to what he says, and Paul says in Timothy, when he's writing uh, this younger junior pastor, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and what? A sound mind. The thoughts you think are so critical and crucial. It leads to our fourth point here. The scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can change your thoughts and your thought patterns. Now this is true for most people. I will say this. There are some people who need professional medical help. Like they, there are people who suffer from true mental health issues. They may be obsessive compulsive. They may be truly clinically depressed or something like that. You need more help than what we're, we're talking about here. But as a general rule, the Holy Spirit gives you the power. Here's what he gives you. He gives you the power to choose what you think about. That's the power of God to transform a human being. He can give you the ability to choose what you think about. People often think that they are victims of their own thoughts, that they cannot control their own mind, and to some degree they can be right. But here's the thing. There's a battle going on inside your mind and you are not a bystander. You are a participant. And God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, can help you to focus your mind and change the patterns of your mind through the power of his word. A famous theologian, Dallas Willard, wrote, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. And here's where we circle right back to where we began in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul says, what? Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things below. What's he talking about? I must say, when I first read that verse 
so many years ago as a kid, I thought, well, thinking about heaven, okay, try to imagine streets of gold, try to imagine angels, and try to, I, I, you know, you have this idea, the movies put it in my mind, it's, it's the fault of Hollywood, I had this idea that angels all had wings, and they sat around, and they played harps, and they played violins, and sat in the clouds without a whole lot to do, and so that's what I, and I went, so, so when I read that, well, when Paul says, set your minds on things above, well, that's what I was thinking. Well, how do you do that? But that's not what Paul is talking about. When he's talking about that, he's not talking about thinking about what heaven might look like. What he's talking about is thinking about things that are part of God's kingdom, not only in heaven above, but on earth below. He's talking about the thoughts that you have about love, the thoughts that you have about the joy, the peace, the security, the hope, and it goes on and on. So that your minds are now filled with things that flow from God's kingdom, from God's word. And Paul says, this can happen. The pattern of thoughts in our mind can happen. We can have it changed. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says what? He says, we take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. That's what he's talking about there. That's what he means. And then, again, Paul talks about the same thing. Powerful verse right here. Let me show it to you. He says, we use powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for the clearing of the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. That's the summary verse right there. God wants to change you, but he wants to change you more deeply than you probably ever imagined. Right? C.S. Lewis talks about how a lot of people come to Christ and they think, well, he's going to come in and do a little redecorating in the house. Right? And then he shows up and he starts out, he's got a, He's got a sledgehammer in his hand and he starts taking down walls and you're thinking to yourself, Jesus, what are you doing? Right? And, and you don't realize just what a radical renovation you need to your heart and your mind and your thoughts. And he starts, it's painful. Right? And you need a lot more renovating than you first thought. In our culture today, there are really only two values, and that is freedom and happiness. And that's nice words for it, but they translate into impulse and pleasure. Doing what you want and pleasing yourself are the chief values of our culture. But when we begin to allow God to change and, and, and ultimately renovate the thoughts of our hearts, we begin to have thoughts that are so much more in alignment with the Bible, with his word. 
just let me give you, you have to say to me, wow, what do you mean by that, Pastor Ray? Well, let me give you an example. For instance, I'm going to my class reunion. We had a class reunion yesterday. And just think about the thought patterns that go on, right? If you're a bit of a narcissist, you're thinking, okay, you're all obsessed with what you're going to wear and how you're going to look and what impression you're going to make on your classmates, right? If you're a bit of a pessimist, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I have to go to this. Who cares about them anyway? They don't care about me. They haven't stayed in touch with me, so why should I bother even going? Right? That's a pessimist attitude, right? But what if? What if we had a more biblical understanding of the event? And then it becomes not about us. Right? And it becomes about these precious people who God, through his sovereign choice, allowed into your life at a certain time. And now you get to reconnect with them. And you get to hear a little bit about their lives. And maybe they'll get a, uh, you'll get an opportunity to share, share a little bit about your life. And all of a sudden, right, the thought patterns change. Right? You're thinking differently. The event hasn't changed. Nothing's really changed. But how you process it, how you think about it, has changed dramatically when you begin to allow... i give you another example. I'm Dutch, right? And uh, I know in many Dutch churches, I mean, the worst time of the service was when the offering plate went by, right? <laughs> oh, we got to give? Doesn't God have enough money? Come on, right? What's this all about? You have to have a change of mind. And I, I remember when I had my first church, I, I, I was shocked to find out there were people in that church, I remember, who were giving because they were greedy. Now, they didn't say that, but they were giving because they were greedy, because they had bought into an idea that if I give to God, he's going to give me back a hundred times. And I thought, that's shocking. Okay. Greed is not a good motive for giving. And some were giving because they were guilty. I had a lady in my church who came to me and said, oh, I had a car accident, and I haven't been giving it. And see, God is getting it back to me now because I haven't been giving in the offering. And so here's some... And I thought, oh my goodness, isn't that terrible? But isn't it wonderful to have a more biblical view of giving? And what is that view, you say? Well, I'll give you a summary. God inviting us to be a part of what he's doing in the world, taking a portion of what he's giving to us every day. All that we have belongs to him and he says, give me a portion back. Invest it in something that will be, give you a return well beyond the grave. And not only that, by doing this, God's saving us from our own selfishness. Isn't that wonderful? I think so many people need to have that change, deep change. Hey, it's good. If you give because it's guilty, we're not going to give it back to you, right? <laughs> If you give because you're greedy, we're not going to give it back to you either. But that's not a kingdom growing experience then for you. It's not going to help you in your relationship with God and in your growth as the person that God wants you to become. But if you give 
because, oh, Lord Jesus, you gave yourself for me, and I love you so deeply. And I thank you that I can be a part of what you're doing in this world. I think about all the money I waste on things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Boy, it's great to be a part of your great work in this world. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, that's a different story, isn't it? That's a lot. That's, that's totally awesome, isn't it? You see, I didn't intend to talk about offerings, but for whatever reason. <laughs> right? God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He really doesn't. He could raise enough money. He could turn that plate into millions of dollars today. No problem. He doesn't need your money. You don't have to give because somehow God's going to fail or something else. You know, he needs it. He doesn't need it. God is sufficient in and of himself. He has enough. And he can do whatever. But he allows us to be a part of his working and his kingdom in this world. And why? It's entirely for our benefit. It's entirely for our benefit. He gave his son. And how do I know that? Because he gave his son entirely for your benefit. He allowed his son to be hung on a cross and die a horrible, painful death to take the punishment you deserve for your benefit entirely. And so when God asks you to do something or God, you know, commands that you do something, man, you should know that he's not doing it for his own good. He's doing it for yours. And see, your mind starts to change. The way you think starts to change because you start to. Now, I got to get to the how, but it's already 11 o'clock and you're hot and it's time for us to go. And I, I wish I had an opportunity to share another message because I can't just leave you here. So you say to me, Pastor Ray, I'm hearing you. I get your vision for my thoughts to be changed. And I am an anxious person. I'm always thinking anxious thoughts. Or I am a bitter person. I'm I'm thinking bitter thoughts. I haven't let go of things that have hurt me in the past. Or I am an angry person. I just seem to be angry all the time. How does that happen? I just want to give you step one. I can't give you the whole steps. All right, all of it. But I'll give you just a little direction because it would be negligent of me to send you out that door without something to apply to your life. Here's the thing, and I think this is the most important thing you can do to help start the renovation or the rearrangement of your thought patterns in your life. The first and most important thing you could do is slow down. Most of you aren't even aware of the thought patterns in your life. And that may mean taking a Bible and just not being on one of those Bible reading programs where you got to get through it. Right? Got to get through. I got to get this passage done. I got to get through the Bible in a year. Right? No, no, no. Take the Bible. Sit down with it. Block off a significant amount of time so that you don't have to be thinking about what what else you might be doing. Slow down and say, Lord, help me. Because I'm hopeless without you. But your spirit searches my heart and knows the depths of my soul. But I don't help me to understand what's going on deep within me. 
because I don't want to just be practicing being a good person, but always struggling. I want you to rearrange my heart. I want you to change my heart. You know what the Bible calls it as well? Writing his law on your heart. Right? That's what he's talking about. But it doesn't happen fast. You didn't get to where you are now quickly. You've got to allow God space. And I, I, I don't want to put a burden on you, but I would just so encourage you to slow down and create space in your life to allow God through his word and by the working of his Holy Spirit to begin to change you deep within your soul. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you do not leave us in the dark, but you shed your light through the power of your word and through the working of your Holy Spirit upon our souls. And we are human beings who are so blind even to what's going on deep within our souls that we need your help. Father, I pray for each and every person in this congregation. God, you know the patterns of their minds. You know the ones that are in alignment with your truth and your reality and the, the reality of your word. And you know the patterns that are out of alignment with that. I pray, Father, that you would help them to understand. And that, Father, this work, which none of us ever gets to the end of, would begin in earnest in their lives. And they would experience the true joy and freedom and life that comes as they allow you to work within them. That truly, oh God, our lives would be a fountain, oh God, that a fountain a life-giving fountain. And that, Father, our lives would be so changed and transformed that those around us, oh God, would know it and, and, and be impacted by it. And, Father, our ability to love the unlovely would grow. Our ability to forgive the hurts would grow. Our ability, oh God, to be generous would grow. That all of these things, all of these virtues, all, the bravery that Jesus showed would grow in our hearts as well. That all of these things that he was would become more preeminent in our lives. And you would be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen.